You're listening to the Sermon Podcast from Real Life on the Palouse, reaching the world for Jesus, one person at a time. All across the country, wherever you may be watching from, we are super excited that you would choose to join us. You have lots of options. Um, man, our worship is amazing. Super excited for uh Getting that back live here. Um, Jessica can probably verify behind the camera. I did not sound great, but I was worshiping my little tail off because I love to do that. So, um, I kind of want to say that I'm like really excited to be here, but I'm actually pretty nervous today to be here. Um, my name is Josh Gray. I'm the lead pastor of Real Life, and it's become Weirdly apparent um, that people care what I think. It's a privilege to be the lead servant of a church. And there's also a, uh, a heavy burden that comes with that. I find it interesting that in my almost first year of uh, being a senior pastor, that this is what God chose me to lead our church through. Through a pandemic, uh, through the events of the last couple weeks, last week. And we are adding to our story to the story of God daily, uh, how we respond. It's been a very difficult week for our country. Maybe not for us physically here in our cute little town of Moscow. But for sure, as we see across the country, frustration, division, murder, judgment. You know, in our church, we talk about how context matters and who is God talking to and what was their life like and what do they live like? And uh, I wanted to thank the different folks. There's different folks that emailed me this week and had suggestions and things to read. And I got a number of emails and Facebook posts and people sharing their, their hearts and their opinions and their passion, which is good. And um, wanting to know, you know, where do we stand? And the we is... You know, the real life church, it's the elders, and then there's a me. And again, it's all colored by context. I, um, I responded to one of the emails, and I, and I, I really actually kind of feel bad about it, but one of the emails I responded to, I said that I didn't grow up in the great white northwest. Um, which is not really true because uh, there's lots of folks of color, but where I grew up was different than the town I moved to when I was 16. The town I moved to when I was 16 years old 
was a town of 5,000 in northeastern Washington. It was a lumber town. And uh, you knew who the person of color was because there was one. But I didn't see that. Where I grew up, I was in Sacramento, California. My context is different. I was the uh, minority in my neighborhood. But I wasn't treated as a minority. I didn't know the difference, and that's the beautiful thing about little children. I'm reminded of a of a post I saw where these two little boys are running towards each other. One is black and one is white, and they give each other big hugs because they're friends. See, when I grew up in Sacramento, California, Strawberry Manor, if anybody's from that area, they're like, ooh, they probably just gave it a good look. Like, wow, okay, that's like the second, used to be the second worst neighborhood in Sacramento. My my two best friends when I was a little kid. One of uh, his name was Jerry Perry. He was uh, a black black friend of mine, and we would run all over the neighborhood and have fun. And he had eight brothers and sisters. His dad was a concrete worker, a really hard worker. His mom uh, ran the house, and he and I were good friends. My other close friend, uh, his name was Jamal, and Jamal was from Pakistan. His parents were from Pakistan. I used to wrestle all the time with my uh, Hispanic friend, Tony. We would wrestle for hours in my front yard trying to see who was stronger. So context matters. Now, this week, I've really struggled with even finding the words to say, and I've had input from our elders. I kind of feel like my words don't heal or... They're going to be wrong. I'm pretty sure they already are. And I just asked the Lord to help me. Help me be careful who I represent and how I represent this church. Help me be careful in who I represent and how I represent our Father in heaven. Help me show people who you are. That you are a God that hears the cries of the oppressed. One of the things that I've always really, really enjoyed about our church is this is not new to us. When I first came here, we spent $30,000 on school supplies for our communities, and it wasn't for a certain color or a certain age demographic. It was for everybody. How we see the oppressed, how we take care of our community is in our DNA. This weekend, I got the privilege of going to our uh, men's breakfast. Many of you watched that online. It was a great message. And uh, the speaker, Randy, talked about it camping. He camped in Romans chapter 12. And he encouraged all the men that were there to read Romans chapter 12. And that was interesting because that was yesterday morning, and I had something different uh, that I was going to talk about in regards to this. But what do I think? I think we should be a lot like Romans chapter 12. I think we should be very careful in what we take into our brain and make it equally as important as what God, what does God think? Let Him work in your heart. Let the Holy Spirit work in your heart. Do not conform to the patterns of this world. 
We have some bad patterns in our world. We have some bad patterns in our country. They haven't gone away. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Why do you need to be transformed by the renewing of your mind? Well, then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourselves more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. How are we thinking of ourselves? For just as each one of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body. And each member belongs to all the others. Black, white, Hispanic, Asian, whatever your race is, if you call yourself a Christian, you belong to each other. Verse 9 says, love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling, cling to what is good. Be devoted. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal. Never be lacking in zeal. Protests are okay. This is what our country was founded on. But doing it in a peaceful way. There are zealous folks out there, zealous, righteous folks. But keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope. Be patient in affliction. And boy, patience is tough right now. Be faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. And mourn with those who mourn. That's what a body would do when it's connected. Live in harmony. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud. Be willing to associate with people of low position and who's low and who's high. What did our Lord and Savior do? We want to be... Christians, we want to be like Jesus. Who is he hanging out with? Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of the Lord. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Micah 6 8 is, He has shown you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly. To act justly in your protest. To act justly to protesters. 
to see things, to, to let the Holy Spirit pierce your heart, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. We need to educate ourselves. Don't stay in your bubble and don't get all of your education from the same place that will support your views. Get your education from the text and how God feels about it. Let him fill your heart. Don't just grab a Facebook video and fly it somewhere else. So here's what I think that God wants our church to do. Here's what we're supposed to do, and it didn't change because of something that happened this last week. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. Try that first. It's the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as you would love yourself. It's very simple. It's very easy. It's very cliche. And it's very, very hard for many people to do, apparently. All the law and the prophets hang on these two things. So this is what I think. I think that... uh, I think, and it's also my expectation of this church and its members... I want you to understand that racism has no part in the kingdom of heaven. Zero. Riots and looting have no part in the kingdom of heaven. Murder has no part in the kingdom of heaven. And we as a church, we must continue, as we have in the past, to hear the cry of the oppressed in our specific area. This is not new to real life on the Palouse. This is part of our DNA and who we are founded to be. Take inventory. Look at yourself first. Understand that people have different context. So that's all I have to say about that. Well, it's not really, but that's why. What's what I think. I want to remind you of the story that you're part of. We're, we're talking about this uh, series here that I'm excited about called Camping in the Parables. We're going to hang out in the parables this summer. We're going to dive deep. We're going to go below the surface level of the parables, which may be too much for us already, <laughs> me already. We're going to dive deep. We're going to see what God does as he's moving our hearts. We're going to allow ourselves to be transformed Come and follow me and I will make you fishers of men and women. Be ready to be made, made into the image of God at a better way. Let me remind you of our story, the story of real life on the Palouse. In 1998, uh, two families uh, were serving in ministry together in Oregon and uh, they felt led and called and moved to Post Falls. And those families were Jim Putman and Aaron Couch. And they moved to Post Falls, Idaho in 1998. And there was a couple, there was two, two couples that had been praying for years for a church, a powerful church to come into the area and change that area for Jesus. And so it started. 
They've stepped out on faith, removed their families with no guarantees of success, just following the Lord. No building, no cameras, nothing, no chairs, but hope and faith. Great things happen because of their obedience. These families, with God's hand upon their work, that church in Post Falls flourished. Currently today, there's over 6,000 people that call a home, three different locations in their physical building called a church, right? They've launched many other churches, two in Spokane, one in Boise, one in Newport, uh, Washington, one in Houston, Texas, um, and they launched us. One of the ones in Spokane, um, he's already launched a couple of churches. One we support real life, Cheney. In October of 2007, Aaron and Kelly and Michael and Rose and Charlie and Eileen started Real Life on the Palouse. They drove down for months through horrible storms. Michael will tell you stories about his little Dodge Neon and how it made it home on some days with bald tires and trying to get through there. And they started this church and they, they, uh, they risked a lot to start a church. And since then, uh, prior to that, Aaron was trying to figure out, man, where am I supposed to be? What am I supposed to be doing? God, I'm in a super successful church. And then you'd walk into his office and there would be this bull elk on the wall. And underneath it said the call. And he had laid out a fleece to God. And apparently got through an animal right in front of him. And he actually hit it. And so he came down here. And then we started doing some cool things. This church itself has since launched three churches out of our body. Real Life uh, Church Pullman, Real Life Grangeville and Mission Ridge in Missoula. Plus, we planted many other churches in the church planning networks that we're a part of. The mission and vision of Real Life on the Palouse has never been more important than it is today. So what is our vision? We're here to reach the world for Jesus one person at a time. And where do we start that? Where is our world? Our world's right here. It's right where your two feet are, which is why we're so proud to say the church isn't a building, that the church is you. Your world is where you work. Your world is where you interact. And our mission, how are we going to do this? How are we going to do this? How are we going to reach the world for Jesus one person at a time? By acting out our mission, by creating biblical disciples, studying the word, knowing God's word, letting it transform our hearts, creating biblical disciples in relational environments. So what do we need to do to accomplish this? We need you. We need you to invest your time. We need you to invest your money into the vision and mission. Late uh, Last February here, I had given a church family update about our finances. If you're, it's still online, if you want to see that, I kind of wanted to give a quick update today of where we are. I said I'd do it in May, and I was a big liar because I didn't do it in May. So I'm doing it in the first chance I can here in June. Um, so give you a quick update of kind of where we are and, and, and where we're going and our needs. So we were averaging about uh, $19,000 a week of giving, and our budget was 26000 based on last year's giving. And that was in February. And uh, then we started this uh, the COVID crisis. And obviously, that normally wouldn't help out a church, would it, when you don't have services anymore? But because of God's grace, our average this year has increased about $2,000 uh, a week or at $21,000 a week 
without having physical church services. I don't know how to explain that our giving went up when I stopped preaching live, but maybe, no. Uh, you know, I don't know. It's the Lord's hand upon it. So we're still not to our, what our budget was, and we're making the appropriate cuts and changes uh, during this time to 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 work to whatever God would have us do. But I wanted to make sure you guys were update the, updated that we are moving forward. And we really need your support over the summer. Typically, there's a trend where you would see giving go down in the summer, and I would like to see, and I'm praying that, that that's not going to happen at our church, that we are going to continue to grow in our finances uh, through the summer. So we had a, a bump in giving. We have some pretty cool stories. There's a bunch of daycare stories. I'm only going to say a, a couple of them, but you support a daycare that runs here and that has ran all through COVID-19. They actually need uh, some food uh, donated and some other things. So you guys can contact uh, Connie Salisbury and Happy uh, Horizons Child Care and make sure that they have what they need. But I'm going to tell you a quick couple stories I heard. Uh, I heard a story about a little kid that ran up to the glass of the church where our sliding windows are, and he was banging on the window, and this mom rushes over, and she she grabs him, and she's like, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry, and and Connie says like, oh, that's okay, that's okay, what's your name, and starts building a relationship and talking with this lady, and this lady apparently is trying to finish her college, and so she comes here because maybe there's good internet uh, in the mall, and her, and her child gets to play in the squishy park, but uh, she's not getting long uh, sessions of focus uh, while you're trying to watch your child and study for school. And so Connie says, well, why don't you come on in here and, and you can come in here and, and we have a, a child care here and let's, you know, let me give you a break here and I'll help you. Oh, we'll watch your, we'll help watch. And she's unsure and not sure. She t- you know, what is this thing? Oh, this is a church. And so she, uh, she talks with this lady and she ends up helping her a lot. And she ends up finding out that there's some aid available for her for childcare. And now her child goes to our Happy Horizons childcare. Connie saw her and now she can come in and study and do her homework here at the church or wherever she needs to and run errands because of your generosity. Because you allow us to have a daycare here that we can provide it for, for one dollar a year. And then we can fund and help give money to help take care of kids that are there. Another story uh, about a mom at our church. Uh, marriage kind of fell apart right in the middle of COVID. Dad left. Older kids were stuck with no one to watch. Mom was struggling on what to do. And she comes in to look for a pastor, and Connie is there. And uh, Connie talks to her. And helps her out and helps with her kids and get them squared away. See, we hear the cry of the oppressed in many different ways in our church. And that's just one way that you um, are supporting people at our church. There's a bunch more cool stories, but I don't have time to say them. Apparently, I have two minutes left for this sermon. And I haven't even started it. Um Also, food cards and over $750 in food cards for people to eat. Uh, happened recently in our church. Rehab, we continue to send people to rehab. Uh, thousands, a couple thousand in utility bills and rent have been paid out because of your generosity. So I just want to thank you guys for partnering with the church, uh, partnering through us with a time when I thought we were going to go sideways. And oh, you of little faith, Josh Gray, uh, we did not. And I want to thank you for continuing and believing that we're going to continue to grow, uh, not just numerically, but physically through this. And we're going to grow in our understanding of the Lord. So on my next minute and 35 seconds, let's dive into this sermon as we camp in the parables. I might go a tad bit long. Um, 
We're in Mark chapter four, one through nine. And as we roll this out, um, you're going to see how appropriate this is for the timing of where our culture or where our country is and what our culture is like. So again, Jesus began to teach by the lake. Now let's show a photo here of by the lake. Uh, we have a photo of that. And the, the, the cool thing, if you go to like, I think it's bibleplaces.com and there's a, a picture that I wanted to use, but we don't have the licensing to use that, but I'll just give them a little love right there. Um, and it's this picture of, of, uh, the cove of the sower is what they call it. And it's kind of where Jesus would have given this message or one of the spots they would think that he could have given this message. It's southwest of Capernaum. And, um, the, on that, that website, bibleplaces.com, if I remember that right, I was watching this and there's a, a video you could press play and there was a guy reading the message and he would, you couldn't see him. He was down there by the tree, really, this tree really close to this. And then there was up this hill and across the road and you could fit thousands of people. Like our whole church could do, could do an Easter service there and I could talk without a mic and he was talking and it was reverberating. You couldn't even see where this person was that was talking, but you could hear it just like we're talking today. And so I find it interesting how, uh, the Lord is, is drawing crowds and how they're seeing, like, where could I, where could this message be spread? Where could your message be spread? And what message are you spreading? So again, Jesus began to teach by the lake. The crowd that gathered around him was so large that he got into a boat and he sat in it out on the lake while all the people were along the shores at the water's edge. And he taught them many things by Parables. Jesus teaches in parables often. And those parables are things that we can understand and apply in our life today. And it's something that they could apply in their life as well. And so as he's teaching in parables, he says, listen. And he starts to talk about a farmer. Now, why would Jesus talk about farming and farmers? Because he knew his audience. He knew the context of their lives. Learn the context of your neighbor. Understand their background. So 90% of the folks in the Galilee at that time would have been subsistence farmers. They would be farming a piece of ground that they probably didn't own. And 50% of the, of the crop would go to the landowner. And then they'd have a little bit to live off of. And so they understood farming and they understood what rocks were. If you've been to Israel, it's like the rock tour right? There's just rocks and rocks and rocks and piles of rocks and you'd move rocks. So they understood what rocks were. They understood what weeds were. They understood about sowing seed. It was their livelihood. It depended on it. So as he was scattering the seed, the farmer went out to sow his seed and he was scattering the seed. Some fell along the path. So there would be paths in the field, you could see that even today, there's paths in the field where you're walking on the edges of your, of your field. There's paths to walk through those things. So some fell on a path that are going to get walked on. And the birds came and ate it up because it's not in. It's hard. It's hard. You notice how you walk on trails. They get hard, harder, right? Compacting the soil. Some fell in rocky places. Well, where are these rocky places? Well, they're where people are moving the rocks over. And why would you get seed in a rocky place? You're kind of a bad farmer if you don't put the seeds in the ground. Don't they see how we do it in the Pacific Northwest? We're not just out there just throwing seed all over the place and into the rocks. You know, you have the drill and you're putting it down where it's supposed to go. Um, well, if you knew the way that they would farm and the way that they would throw seed is they would probably have a bag and they would have that and they would kind of scatter the seed like this. And so some seed actually could get into a rocky place. 
so it fell in a rocky place where it didn't have much soil and it sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched and they withered because they had no root. How are your roots in real life? Where are you planting your seeds? Are you planting your seeds in the text? Are you planting your seeds in social media, television, Netflix? Are you planting your seeds of hope with your neighbor? Other seeds fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants, so they did not bear grain. Still other seed fell on good soil. It came up and it grew and produced a crop, some multiplying 30, some 60, some 100 times. Then Jesus said, whoever has ears, let him hear, let them hear. Sevenfold, five to sevenfold would be a darn good year in that culture. Thirtyfold, sixtyfold, a hundredfold would be a miracle. So you have the sower, the seed, and the soil. And next week, we're going to dive deeper into the sower and the seed and the soil. But this week, I want you to think about what kind of a sower are you? What seeds are you spreading around your community? Are, are you spreading around the seeds of Roman 12? Romans 12? What are you allowed, allowed to be planting in the soil of your heart? It's time for us to wake up. Wake up, oh, you sleepers. Look around. See your neighbor. See them well. Love them well. Jesus loved us pretty well. I want you to prepare and get your elements that you have for communion. I'm looking forward to watching all of you next week that come here try and open these communion packets. These are very sanitary, very safe. It took me three minutes to open mine. So, um, but when you think about communion, this is a great week to reflect back. And reflect back about sacrifice the sacrifice that was made by our Lord, the sacrifice that was made by people here in this country, that we'd have the freedom to worship, the freedom to protest. Sacrifice is a big deal. So uh, the Lord Jesus on that night, he was betrayed. He took the bread and we had given thanks. He broke and he said, this is my body. It's for you. Do this. And remembrance of him. Remember who Jesus is. Remember how you represent him. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, this cup in the new covenant of my blood. Do this. Whenever you drink of it, remember me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes to, again. What are we going to proclaim? What does it look like in our lives? Father, I thank you for today. I hope you cleaned up my words, Lord, as they came out and they fell on 
good soil. I hope they were your words. I hope people are are moved to understand you better and not really understand what um, what I think or what somebody else thinks. But what do you think, Lord? What do you want for your people? I ask you just help us to act justly, to love mercy, to walk humbly with our faith. I ask that you just help us to love you with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind, and that we would love our neighbor as ourself. Father, be with our country, be with our be with the world as they battle COVID. Help us to walk well with you and represent you well, Lord. And we just say that in your son's precious name. Amen. Thanks for checking out this message from Real Life. You can find out more about us by visiting liferotp.com and connecting with us on Facebook and Instagram. Until next time, have a great week.